pronounce your name correctly for me yes david strauss now you go with the double z that's correct is, is that your given name or did no. you that's your sort of tag name that's uh i would say that's my artistic pseudonym okay yeah now you're from i can tell you why as well sure all right yeah keep <laughs> when... in mind podcast you can be as long and as elaborate as you oh, want okay. this is not about short sound bites this is about yeah, right. stories yes so be long and as okay. elaborate um so when i was uh, had a studio in boston um, I was starting to exhibit very briefly or in New York City. So when I was trying to purchase the domain or a domain name, I, I found out that there's five or six David Strauss's, like with two S's, <laughs> yeah. in New York City alone in the art community. Wow. So I'm like, for a sixth or a seventh, that doesn't make any sense. So I was thinking about what to do. And my best friend, who's an artist in uh, in London, Ontario, in Canada, uh, Greg Benz, he uses Z at the end of his name which uh, because of his DJing and music production background. So I decided I'm going to change it to two Zs for no, no other reason than to buy the domain name and then to make myself slightly unique. Oh, yeah. I had the same problem. My name's Matthew Doles, which is, I think, a reasonably uncommon name. And there's another person named Matthew Doles. He's a drummer in Iowa, and he bought mattdoles.com yes. like 18 years ago. Yes. And it took me 13 years of constantly <laughs> putting it on back order saying, if it ever comes available, yes. I want to buy it. Yes. After 13 years, I finally got nice. mattdoles.com. I've owned matthewdoles.com for, I don't know, what, 19 years now. Yes. But but mattdoles.com yes. took me 13 years Crazy. to get back from this drummer who never did anything with it. The website sat blank for 13 years oh, and that's kept funny. paying for it. And I was just like, oh. That's funny because my music production name was Ebrius. You know, at the time in the mid-90s when everybody had a really kind of like uh, mysterious pseudonym. My name was Ebrius, which is Latin for drunk or inebriated. And, uh, um, and I let it expire. Somebody in Scandinavia picked it up and they've done nothing with it either. I believe they're in music as well, but they've really done nothing with it. Um, so if I could get that back, that'd be awesome. I love the times when we used, we all used to, to use Latin phrases. As it, <laughs> we thought it would somehow made us more, give us more pastiche kind of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. ooh, I used Latin phrase for yes, this. That's right. Yeah. Like but, my professors even taught me at one point. They said, "Oh, well, it's really good to throw a Latin phrase in your art artist statement." Yes. Like, oh God, we were so pompous back in yeah. those days. Yeah. Like, holy shit. There's certain trends that are still happening to this day that's kind of like, I'll try and stay away from that. <laughs> I, I find people are still doing it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I do portfolio reviews online and like I'm constantly running into people that are like throwing out Latin phrases yes. and quoting Greek gods and yes. mythology and stuff yes. in their artworks. And I'm just like, oh yeah. my God. I know. That's why, to be honest, and I know we mentioned in the past that, um, you wanted to steer away from talking about street art, but really that's why I mm. enjoy street art the most is because I think it's as authentic as as it can be in the art world. Now, trust me, on Instagram, you'll find 55,000 people who call themselves street artists and they uh, probably have never painted a wall in their life or uh, or done really anything that relates to street art. Regardless, it doesn't matter. I think for me, it's it's a really refreshing group where you do whatever you want and you don't really necessarily have to 
tie yourself to some massive uh, thesis, like you said, with some references to Latin history, etc. Well, don't get me wrong. I, I appreciate and, and respect a good mural, a great yeah. piece of street art. What I don't like, and I'm sure I'm probably going to get bad emails about this, but like what I don't like is um, just tagging, like, yes. especially when I see it on a, like a beautiful building yes. or a gorgeous whatever, like yes. a beautiful piece of marble or, or like just the other day I was actually walking home and I saw there's this contemporary building near where I live and it's got this beautiful dark wall that, and, and it's, it's been pristine for yes. like 10 years. And all of a sudden, some guy just went in, or girl, I don't know, went in with a white spray paint and tagged yes. it. And I'm just like, ah, oh. like that hurts me. Yes. Like, because because I think the building is beautiful. Yes. And I think the tag has destroyed the beauty of that that structure. Yes. So I don't like that yes. when they d destroy something in the act of doing their yes. thing. Now, if they're like, like recently you were given a wall basically by the, the city, I believe, or the municipality. Uh, and, and then you did something that's on right. it. I think that's fabulous. Yeah. I'm all for that. Yeah. I mean, like if you have designated spaces to do something and then you do it great, but yes. like, I really, really have a big pet peeve of like destroying something that's already beautiful with s something illegal basically. Yes. You, would you like me to comment? Yes, you would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, contradict me, like no, I mean, no, it's I not. Mean, a, it's not a contradiction at all. I think it, uh, tagging is literally a game of cat and mouse. I think if if the rules or the laws were more harsh, if they were, um, uh, you know, if the authorities were essentially monitoring or even buffing, as an example, buffing, it's buffing is essentially the act where the authorities then clean those walls hmm. and i know it can become expensive but it's uh, if somebody is getting up a lot and their work keeps on getting buffed it becomes annoying and you probably will you know start to reconsider your your tagging career because spray paint is expensive but uh but also you know there's all sorts of sub sub context there's a bit of anarchy in there there's rebelliousness um, and also in, in, in contrast to that, I think a lot of pseudo anarchists are upset with how many ads and billboards there are in the cities that they're, we're being pushed or these messages are being pushed on, I don't want to say us, but the tagging community. Um, and therefore this is their, uh, kind of counter, uh, measure, if you will. Oh, I have no problem with people tagging yeah. advertising or billboards yeah. and things like that. Yeah. The ones that I have problems with is like here in downtown Prague, like I'll go down and there's this beautiful door that was obviously handcrafted mm. like a hundred yes. of years ago probably. Yeah. And and it's magnificent and somebody tags it. Yes. And that hurts. Agreed. You know, Agreed. Like, I'm like, I might I myself, I mean, uh, this is, I'm opening myself up for a lot of criticism as well, mm. painting on Kotva uh, in Namistri Republic in, uh, in Prague. But I myself would never paint on something that I would consider um, truly, truly historical or, and or extremely expensive or difficult to buff. You know, like, like you said, a marble wall, you know, some kind of middle-aged, grill or door or gate or something like that like to me that um, kills me yeah I, I, I myself personally wouldn't do that but here we go now i'm gonna probably get some nasty emails as well that i'm painting on kotva which is a historic building 
Um, and I know that there's a little, you know, there are conversations being had about what we did there. And, but what, what, what are you talking about? The one you did the faces on. Well, so there's, there's another, that wall is okay because yeah, that's not say. a historic wall, yeah. but there's another portrait that I painted about, uh, maybe two months ago on Kotva, which is the shopping center in Namistio Public. There's Palladium mm. Mall. Mm. And then across the street, there's, it's a geometric building, I believe. I mean, oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So there was a, a kind of a corporate action and uh, I was commissioned to paint a large portrait on the side of the building. Right. Yes, because that that building was under is under historic preservation. Yes. All, like last year. Yes. Yeah. So that. So, if there are critics out there, pardon me. If there are critics, if there are critics out there, um, then they would have the power to to criticize that work because it is on a, on a historical building. <laughs> But there's a big well, okay. But there's a big difference, and and this is where like I differentiate on my my, my sort of rules about uh, not not my rules, but like my personal ethos about like street arts and stuff. If somebody commissions you, fine, I don't care. Like mm. so, even if it's a historical place or some magnificent place, if the owner of the property commissions you to do it, yes. That's their choice. Yes. They own that property. They can do with it as they wish. If they desire to add, you know, some sort of mural or street art or whatever yes. to their whatever property, that's their right. It's when people go in and do it illegally and uh, and damage something that you know was inherently beautiful or yes. historic or something like this. That's when I have a problem. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, it, I have no problem if the if the owner of the property commissioned you. Yes. More power to them. That's their choice. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here to dictate who can do what with their right. own property. Right. That's ridiculous. And neither am I. To be so. honest, you know, I think it was an exciting project. I'm. I was. I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to do that. It wasn't without its challenges. Um, you know, the project started at 10 p.m. and I was supposed to be finished at 6 a.m. I uh, ingested probably seven Red Bulls in a short span of time. It was insane. Uh, and I'll look back on it in, for the rest of my life as something that I, I literally have no idea how I lived through it. <laughs> That's very fast. Yeah, it was crazy. It yeah. was absolutely crazy. I think I climbed the ladder I mentioned on Instagram uh, 60 times in six hours or 70 times in six hours. It's good, good workout. Yeah, it was a <laughs> great workout. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let, let's get back a step because sure. a lot of people listening may not know a lot about your background yep. and all this. So you are... Canadian yes. and Czech That's and right. you now you were raised in Canada you yes. now live in the Czech Republic give us a little bit more sort of background I'll, I'll keep it incredibly short my parents escaped Czechoslovakia in 73 through England um, I was born in 76 in London Ontario uh, which is between ter Toronto and Detroit um, I went to one of the premier uh, post-secondary art schools in Canada which is called Beale Art I believe that uh, some of the students or graduating students next year are going to be coming to Czech Republic. So I hope if they hear this, I would love to entertain them here at Pragovka. Um, so after Beale, I went uh, to OCAD University or OCA at the time when I went and they've gone through a series of name changes. Um, but anyway, I went to Ontario College of Art and Design mm -hmm. in Toronto. Uh, I studied industrial design. I deviated from my art career for a few years uh, because I wanted to kind of immerse myself in um, materials and manufacturing processes because the, my, my goal, life goal, was to create artistic furniture because in Canada you could never 
or you could purchase European furniture, but at an incredible expense. Yeah, I remember those days. So that was, that was the objective. But then as I deviated farther and farther from my artistic um, yeah, life, I decided um, to change and get back into it. Um, we moved uh, to Boston where I had a studio there and I decided to go full-time again into artwork every day, all day. Um, and I really started to feel that I was making some headway in Boston, not only in Boston, but also in New York City. And then after four years, because the American culture and lifestyle is pretty hardcore, you know, like I think two months after we moved to Boston, there was the marathon bombings. And mm. that was like our introduction to America. And so for us Canadians, um, it was like, what, what, what is this? Like, this is intense. Um, so fast forward after four years in Boston, um, we moved to small shack in Northern Ontario, decide what our next step was after a statistical analysis on paper. Uh, and thanks to the fact that I had a Czech citizenship or dual citizenship, we moved to Prague about five years ago where I've, you keep saying we, yeah, my wife and I, okay. Yeah. So here I am five years later in Prague, working in as artist full time. I've got a studio at Pragovka in Prague 9. Um, so if anybody has never been here, I recommend coming to see some old classic architecture that is slowly being renewed. Um, there's a great cafe here that make exceptional coffee and, and they're very supportive of my, uh, my efforts. All right. So you, and so you moved here with your wife yes. five years ago. That's right. Why Prague? So like you could come anywhere in the Czech Republic. Why did you choose to come to Prague? I could have actually gone anywhere in Europe because That's I've got true. The EU, EU citizenship. Yeah. Uh, because the objective was to reconnect with my history, my culture, my relatives that live here. Uh, I now consider myself a Czech Canadian artist uh, and I'm working as what I see as a representative of the Czech art scene as well, for good or for bad. But it was very important for me also to, like I said, just kind of reconnect, understand who I am, where I came from, my family's story, what brought me to Canada and why, and then also what inspired me to move back. So this is all stuff that I'm I'm in process. I'm still learning more every day. I'm still having conversations um, to really identify who I am. We're all on that journey. I mean, I'm constantly reevaluating my place in the world and my choices in life and all this. It's just, you know, I, I try to do uh, morning pages. Have yes. you ever done this? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea. There's this lady, um, Julia Cameron, that wrote this book like 25, 30 years ago now called The Artist's Way. And she encourages this thing called morning pages where you take a journal and literally just write three pages every day, mm -hmm. period. So no more, no less. Uh, and if you have nothing to say, you just write, I have nothing to say, I have nothing to say. I have nothing. It doesn't Crazy. matter. Just like you write whatever's mm -hmm. on your mind every morning three pages and I find that it, like after I do that I'm much more refreshed and I'm more yes. so, so like basically you just get whatever shits in your head out on the paper so that you can then be like oh now I can do new things because I'm not I don't have this cluttered mind anymore yes. so like I'm constantly trying to do that and every time I do it it's fabulous but it takes so much time it takes yes. like 45 minutes to an hour depending on how quickly I write to do it and because I guess I'm a slow writer but I mean, part of it is I'm getting to the idea of the process. Like, yes. So like you said, being in the studio constantly kind yes. of thing. So like, are you a person who is in the studio every day, nine to five, whether you actually have something to do or not, or are you more of a 
wait for inspiration to come in the studio kind of person. I'm absolutely somebody that spends every day and six days out of seven in the studio if I can, of course, if I'm not painting a wall somewhere. That's or, still in the studio. You know, but yeah, essentially working on my art practice at least from 9 or 9.30 in the morning till whenever in the evening, um, every day. And are you making a living at this? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, am I driving a Ferrari or do... No. I don't believe any artist really, other than like <laughs> Jeff Koons or Damien Hurst, is yeah. driving a Ferrari. Yeah. No, there are some street artists I know that are millionaires as well. But um, yeah, I would say that I am I'm making a living like many artists either you know and i don't i don't even think some of the most successful names in the art culture i don't necessarily believe that they're in the black but they're making a living they're doing what they love and hopefully they're healthy and those are my objectives as well mm -hmm. so yes Okay, so how do you juggle all that? So are you so I've, you've got commissions. Yes. You have works that you put in galleries that are are sort of object based for sale. Yes, you. I'm assuming then possibly go for some grants, maybe some residencies, some like work, run some workshops. Like, what's the combination of things that you figured out that make it that works for you? Matthew, I'm going to get into this. I apologize. One last note that I want to go back on what inspired me to come to Czech Republic. Is Absolutely, with, is with the tragic death of my mother. Uh, from can lung cancer, and that was in 2013, which is really primarily the most important reason why I came here is because I freaked out, literally freaked out. So uh, about my life, who I am, where I am, why I am doing what I do, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I, I, I hate to, I hate that's a side note, but really that is the most important reason. Well, it's why, not a side note actually, yeah. because one question I actually often ask too is, what did your parents do for living? Yeah. Uh, my parents, okay, so going back, um, my father worked in Berendorf before he escaped uh, as a filmmaker. My mother was just an accountant. and uh, My wife is an accountant. That's not a just. No, 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 absolutely. She was a saint on this planet. So uh, she did everything she could to, to uh, help me and my family. Um, and uh, But they were always, because of my father they were and my mother as well, immersed in the arts so theater film uh you know paintings exhibitions galleries uh we were always going throughout our lives to these cultural events and when they moved or when they escaped to canada it was literally find what job you can to put food on the table so my mother could continue her business you know uh, career but my father uh, started working in the automotive industry because the film industry in canada at that time in 70 three wasn't as developed as it as it is now yeah now it's great it's like the hollywood of the north yeah so he essentially uh, and i believe it's why he was so angry and so i wouldn't call I use this term loosely but violent throughout our lives uh my life my early life because he had an artistic need that he couldn't express and i told myself uh, that is not who I'm going to be. If I'm doing what I love to do, then I'm not going to be as angry as he was uh, majority of his life. So oh, I find that if I don't make something, like just be creative, produce anything, yes. whatever it is, you know, it could be repainting the house, whatever. Yes. But like if I'm not actively creating something, yep. I, I get angry. Yep. I, I get very agitated. I, I get very sort of like, I want to make something. I like, agree. Give me an opportunity to create something. Yes. 
so yeah, I could absolutely see like if you if you had a great career and then you suddenly you know you had to move due to whatever kind of extraneous yep. situations and then you're sort of forced into a job that you possibly didn't like yes. for the rest of your life. Yes. Yeah, that could easily make somebody a creative person very agitated. Oh yeah, agitated is an understatement. I think uh, I'm being, I, I mean, don't know your father. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah. The people that do will know um, that. My my sister doesn't speak to my father, and they live in the same city in Prague here. They don't speak to each other because my sister has come to terms with our history, our childhood. I, on the other hand, I'm seeing life and my relationship with him from a different perspective. Uh, I don't want to live with any regrets, so I will tolerate his behavior to a certain extent. I mean, I've kicked him out of the studio probably like a half a dozen times for sure, but it's a fact of our life, you know, and I, and I think it's a good reminder for me to, to utilize every day that I can in the studio, which is why I'm so disciplined in my art practice is because I have, I have the possibility, I have the capability of being here. So why not? And if I don't, I know I'm miserable at home. Uh, we just spent two or three days away in, um, in Ostrovan, Opavan and Bezdetsky, I believe. Uh, in a beautiful winter chalet for two days with our Canadian friends. And I was already getting miserable because I wasn't able to, you know, do what I do in the studio every day. So anyway. Oh, yeah. I, I woke up this morning and I was just, I wanted to get in the studio and I realized I didn't have the resources I needed. Like, yes. I, I mean, I didn't have the, you know, the materials that I needed to make what I want to make and I don't don't have the money to buy any of the materials I need so I'm, I'm just sort of sitting there like I really want to finish this project that I'm in the middle of yes. and I can't finish it because I don't have the money to buy the materials to the, do yes. it and it's very aggravating like it's funny because like I look at my own ways of dealing with stress and things like this and yes. like and, and so I shut down I, I get really quiet yes. and, and, and sooner or later I'm sure I'm going to explode about the whole thing but yes. but uh, but like yeah it's it's very difficult to find that balance of like how much time do you put in how much money do you put yes. in like you know because you often hear about stories about artists who are making work and they're doing a career and they something happens you know some medical issue or some yes. financial issue whatever comes up and suddenly they have to stop making their art because they have to do something else to yes. make a living or whatever so like the question is is like so how do you find that good work life balance yes. basically and and financial balance to cuz you know there's the tradition of you have to spend money to make money yes. but then there's also there is a, a limit where you have to stop spending money if you're sure. not making enough money right to, like, like right so like how are you doing that i i think like as i uh i'm starting to kind of develop my style and name here in czech republic more people are taking notice i think that the work that i do on the walls um you know there's the business side of being an artist cannot be ignored i know that there's a lot of bohemian artists that you know they want to deny that they are marketing or accounting or commercial or, yeah or, that's right exactly or using these umbrella names for activities that they do as an artist but is a fact you know like business development or marketing or accounting is a fact of our daily life so when somebody comes to me and says oh you're a full-time artist you're living the life you're in paradise well yes i am but there's no such thing as utopia there isn't so in my utopia, it means that I spend about 10 hours in the studio every day. 
I go home, sit on the couch and crank as much as I can on Instagram and Facebook because that's like a easy marketing uh, task that can be done somewhat quickly. And many times as my friends or my wife know, I'm not posting nearly as much as I should because I'm exhausted. And then there's an element of accounting that needs to be done and stuff that people don't see behind the scenes, which is essential to to practicing as an artist. Well, and these are the things that basically the re- one of the reasons why I created this podcast is because there are many things about the right. arts that are simply just not talked that's about. That's right. And so that's the stuff I want to talk about. Yeah, right. So like you say you're in the studio 10 hours a day on average. Yep. Are you physically producing work for 10 hours a day or like do you take naps? Do you think for a couple hours or are you literally, you know, putting paint on canvas or paint on a wall, whatever? 10 hours a day. I um I carry a notebook. I realized in Boston that I I've been blessed with having ideas. Like just idea development is something that happens to me on the metro or when I'm looking at people or because I paint I mean one of my styles is semi-abstract portraits. So I'm looking at people and my inspiration is everywhere. So I have my book, my book, I write my ideas as often as I can. And I think that I probably have like literally a hundred unfulfilled ideas that when I finish one, I can go to the next in terms of, let's say, what if I paint a portrait on this set of materials? And also as, uh, and I'm very careful that I don't call myself a graffiti artist, but I'm a street artist or a street inspired artist or, or urban contemporary artist. So when I'm walking around in space, which I do with my friend uh, Jakob Yandora from Molotov Praha. He and I go and we wander and we'll wander around the rail yards because trains are, they're sexy. And you will see various materials or you'll see various shadows on various corners of buildings or in a train. And it'll inspire me to consider the next technique when I'm painting a portrait or doing a collage or decollage. So for me, am I painting or am I creating 10 hours a day? No, but I would say six, seven out of 10. And then I don't take naps during the day. I'm tearing posters, I'm ripping posters, I'm acquiring materials when I find them or when I'm on the tram, I remember seeing uh, a quantity of wood or steel somewhere in some corner lying rusting. That means... I will go there that one day when I don't feel being painting on canvas or whatever, I'll go and acquire and accumulate that material and bring it back to the studio. So it's not stealing, it's just accumulating. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So anyway, so as as a kind of added note to acquiring materials from the street, I personally find work on canvas, 2D work on canvas, rectangular or square, to bore me. It bores me. I mean, it's done thousands, thousands of years. It's already been done. So for me and my practice, if I can incorporate found materials or recycled materials that will end up in the dump that are beautiful and they have their own history and their own story to tell, I think that's that's my objective in the near future and in the future is to do more of that. I think that artists should consider this concept as, and I don't, wouldn't call myself as an eco artist, but they should consider this more than just continuing the cycle of buying materials from a store, whether it be wooden stretchers or canvas. 
it is, uh, we're living in a society now where we're just continually to acquire and buy more crap. And I, I'm starting to refuse and I'm starting to kind of protest against it. So you'll see more and more of that in my artwork. I was going to say, but isn't spray paint actually kind of bad for the environment? Doesn't it have, it used to Matthew, have no comment. <laughs> no, yes, no, you're it, right. It used you're to. Right. I mean, maybe uh, maybe the ecology, the the technology has changed. But I remember it had like CFCs or something like that, well, ozone in it or something like that. I'm not perfect. I I never I would never admit to be a perfect person. Yes, no, for sure. The classic spray paint, yeah. ha, ha, you know, have chemicals that are probably detrimental to to the. Uh, well, are there new ones though? Yeah, there like, are. Yeah, yeah okay. they're, they're water based, so. There are water-based paint that I believe are probably a little bit more uh, eco-friendly and also in terms of odor and chemical. So you can use, you know, MTN or Molotow. Um, they have paint where you can use them indoors and they won't be physically detrimental to your health. So okay. I think that they're considering this as well in terms of providing materials for artists in the long term. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm finding... Unfortunately, in my old age, I've become snobbier and snobbier mm. about art materials. And like, because I, I will go around to the stores trying to find like the just the right material yes. thing that I'm looking for. And I find it more and more difficult to find like, I'm, I'm sort of famous among my friends and, and family that, that I always want something that doesn't exist. Yes. And I, I'm finding that basically they, the, the things are starting to exist, but mm. they're very expensive. Yes. <laughs> like I always want yeah, right. the most expensive materials right. of everything. It's ridiculous. So like the idea of, of flipping the other way and, and utilizing materials that basically pre-exist and sort of reworking them is a smart way to go because I yep. would imagine it, it is very cost-effective in many ways. Yes. I mean, like I, I know who my gurus are. You know, from a portrait perspective, Chuck Close, still living to this day and painting gorgeous paintings that, I mean, they're unbelievable in person. So I make the joke that I would like to be considered the Czech close. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Anyway, and, and then also Robert Rauschenberg, um, because he was an artist while living that was living in New York City and literally going around his apartment and acquiring everything that was in the trash. You know, his famous uh, goat through the tire. I mean, like this is stuff that... I think adds way, way more interest to me. And then here in Czech Republic, Krzysztof Kantera, what he does with materials is, it's incredible as well. And I, uh, you know, I'll follow his lead in Czech, in Czech Republic as being somebody who advocates for the use of found materials in their art. I think it's great. I'm yeah. all for it. Unfortunately, it just doesn't fit for my, yeah, for sure. my personal ethos and style yeah. and whatever else but okay back to the business of it yes, so like so so because okay because i'm sitting here thinking like oh my god if i was in the studio 10 hours a day producing work i would be spending so much money on materials yes. and resources and stuff how do you balance the spending of material money on your materials because i mean like i've seen you i've come into your studio a number of times where you have like probably a couple hundred or maybe even a thousand euros worth of spray paint sitting yes. in the thing so like how do you balance the expenditures with the incomes? It's an interesting story. If I can go into it really quickly, what I you can when go I, into it as long as you'd like. Yeah. So when I came to Czech Republic, uh, the first thing I did was find out where the sources were to buy spray paint. And there's some stores here that were classic, but of course, as as an artist on a budget, you try and find the best possible price. And I found it online, and I bought I think about three thousand crowns worth of spray paint. 
the manager which is about $120. Yeah, that's right, American. Yep. So the manager called me back and said the store which is primarily focused on selling streetwear, clothing, shoes, uh accessories, but they also sold some spray paint to complement the street vibe. Uh they're getting out of it and would I consider buying more? at an outrageous discount. So I asked him, well, what is the quantity of their inventory? He gave me a price that I couldn't refuse and I bought the whole inventory. So that's how I started my studio buying, I think it was close to 350 or 400 cans of spray paint right off the bat. It was a massive investment, but in comparison to what I was paying in Boston, I thought this is literally an offer I cannot refuse. Sure. And so the funny part is that this this manager of the of the spray paint he later opened Molotov Praha and that is my now close to my best friend here in Czech Republic Jakob Yandora and we maintain a relationship and that kind of that history between him and I I hope will last a long time because we have a lot of laughs about it but um so you know that's another element to being an artist uh, that you know the term procurement spending some time in the end of the day and finding who's got sales or who where where can I where do I have a credit let's say or where can I on any kind of given project where can I spend as little money as possible in order to execute the best possible concept you know and, and so if that makes any sense absolutely i think about it every day yeah and then of course when i work on various projects i might estimate that i'll use 30 cans of spray paint and maybe i use 28 you know, so there will be some leftovers or there'll be some half used cans that I can save for later that I tend to start to uh, accumulate. So that's where I am now. Okay. So income then, how mm. does, where, what, so what resources of, of so, so I talked about like, are you running workshops? You're getting commissions, you're doing, are you applying for grants? Are you having straight up sales? Like, so like, what's your, how is your income uh, working for you here? Income is coming from selling artwork, from commissions to do exterior walls, installations, commissions as well. I have zero grants. I have never applied for a grant here in Czech Republic. Uh, I don't have any financial assistance coming from anywhere else but from the sale uh, or of my artwork or completion of projects. Okay. Next question along that line is, is then... These sales that you're producing, are these sales through um, uh, social medias, through your own website? Are they through galleries? Like, how are they manifesting? I have a series of collectors that are following me, and I'm very lucky and grateful for them uh, that once in a while they feel like they want to complement their living space, and they see a piece of work that I've either included in an exhibition or in my studio, which I invite them to come as often as they'd like. And they support me in that way. I have some representation here in Prague that, you know, they could uh, be happy if they sold more. But um, but that's probably, I would say, 95% of my sales come from word of mouth or from collectors that I have either in Czech Republic, Canada, and the United States as well. Through social media? No, I would website. say these are people that, well, okay, so are you talking new or people who have come to me well, that, uh, I mean, that's for sort the first of the time. Both, yeah. really, is sort of the question. Is like it was because one of my things that again keeps coming up through my conversations on these podcasts is finding people to collect your work is great, but maintaining that relationship. Yes. So, like, 
finding somebody to buy one piece is great. Yes. Finding somebody who will then buy a second, a third, sure. a fourth. How do you, what technique have you found to continue to build that relationship? So like, I hear stupid things, you know, and very, oh, email, you know, six, every six months or something, mm. send out an email to your collectors just saying, hey, this is my new work. So yes. These are for veil. Like, do you do emails? Do you do, do you keep in touch with them? Like, do you touch base with them via an email, a social media, personal contact, whatever? Like, not at all. What, what, what sort of professional business techniques do you do to continue these relationships? I do not hard sell anybody. I don't want to. You know what I mean? Because I think that my story, uh, the work that I do, if it speaks to somebody and they're interested in my story and they want to complement their living space, which to me is the highest reward for an artist possible, Absolutely. then it's it becomes a natural relationship. Like I have collectors that I don't for I don't say, hey, I've got a new piece you should see. Uh, come to the studio tomorrow, because. I know inevitably they'll just come naturally and say, hey, what are you up to? And uh, uh, we would like to come for a coffee at the Cafe Pragovka and we can stop at your studio and they'll see something they like and they'll pick something up. Or, of course, through exhibitions, it's easy. You know, it's on the wall. There's a series of 10 to 15 or or 30 paintings or pieces of artwork and they'll say, that one's beautiful, I want to buy it. So for me, I want to be as authentic as I can it is something that I learned while my, you know, after my mother's passing, that I'm no longer going to be somebody who is too greasy and is, you know, is trying to like email newsletters and this to me, you know, like is that something that I won't do in the future? It's possible, you know, I'll consider it. But for right now, anybody that wants to come to the studio and have a conversation about art or what I'm doing or they saw something, I'm open to it because. That connection, that human interaction to me is the reason why I'm doing artwork is because we might not be here for a long time, but if we can make the short time that we're here uh, incredibly positive by having these conversations or interactions, all the better for me because when I, that last moment of my life, which will come, I want to say, man, I met some exceptional people and maybe we differed, you know, we had a difference of opinions, but the conversations were excellent and that's it goodbye you know so that's it so anyway the point of my answer is that i'm not implementing any business strategies right now in terms of uh, marketing my work i would probably uh, in the short term start to in terms of um marketing my work outside of czech republic in germany and in, in austria it's literally my next uh, assignment um, but as of right now no how about that for long answer to your short and sweet question it's really painful though like i mean i'll be honest like because well because i you know i like many people that listen to this podcast i'm sure like you know we're always trying to figure out like how do we find collectors how do we find the people that will buy or appreciate our works and stuff like it's the that's the hard thing because i mean but beyond that, I mean, it's also subject related, material yes. related, scale yeah, related, right. price absolutely. point related. Like, right. I mean, there's so many variables. That's the thing is, is like, I, right. I'm a person that loves a system. Like, I'm, I love organization. Mm-hmm. I love a system and all that. And unfortunately, I chose an industry, the arts, yes. that is, has no system to it whatsoever. It's completely random and subjective. And so, like, who's going to buy what yes. and, for, and, and for what price and, and how often is completely random yes. and, and and there's no way to predict 
or or even set up or or create any yeah. sort of scenario where X will work. I think like the model, like a car dealership model is not possible. Right. You know, like to set up your inventory and put a big billboard and have people come and then, you know, their sales strategy and predict the pipeline and uh, et cetera, et cetera. It can't be done in the arts. No, I, I think when you have a name, you know, that is out there, massive. Well, once you, know, you have a being, brand. Yeah, that's right. You're absolutely right. It becomes almost like a brand. Then, yes, you will have people walking through the doors of galleries more often than not looking for the brand without question um, at this moment. Yeah, but uh, most, I mean, you know, 98% of yeah, the right. working artists do not have a brand. Correct. That is correct. So like we don't have that luxury. And this yeah. is this is my problem is, is that all the conversations I keep hearing about reading about, so like I watch videos and, and read articles about stuff, it's always about these brand name artists kinds yes. of things. And it's not about the literally like the you and I, the day-to-day -day working artists that is just like pounded out the selling work and trying to get... yes enough money to continue to make more work yes and those are the conversations i want to have I, th I i consider myself a working class artist you know that i uh, you know i do enjoy getting my fingernails dirty and painting myself uh, or executing the work myself in the future having assistance would be wonderful and on the other hand, I do also enjoy having a glass of champagne after the fact, after an exhibition or chatting with people. So I, li I can live on both sides of, of, that, of the world. Really? You're a champagne drinker? I enjoy champagne, yeah? yes. Okay. I, I do enjoy I would it. not have picked your champagne for you. No, I don't think many people would, but I do enjoy it. It doesn't come often. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but... I think it is a part of the artistic business that we have to work towards creating our name. And I think by how to do that is to focus like 99% on the quality of your work and make sure that's as, as authentic as it can be. So putting as much of your heart and mind into each piece and the concept and execution, not cranking them out like cookies is for me what I believe is complementing, let's say, sales. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go back to social media. You brought it up. You said you don't use, the people say you don't use it enough and all this. So like, give me a, a scenario of like, so what, what would be the way you would like to use it and how do you use it? <laughs> yeah, right. So as an example, um, the big wall in Prague that I just painted was 53 meters long. The intention was to paint 14 portraits and I painted eight. I created a contest because I include some code and some secret messages in my work for people to figure it out, which means they have to spend more than just 15 seconds looking at my work. And the objective was to post one clue per day over eight or nine days. And at the end of the nine days, if people or my followers or people that engage with me, if they were able to figure out the code, the winner, the first person who sends me a message would win a piece of original artwork. Now, the idea was that the, the clues would be released over nine days. And I believe it's been a month. <laughs> so this contest or, you know, has kind of, it's kind of lasted more than the time that I had envisioned, 
but it's just because I don't have the time or energy to do it. And I'm hoping that before the new year, today and tomorrow... I was going to say that's like two yeah, days away. Yeah, today and tomorrow, I will release the last two clues so that I can have this project finished. But, you know, I think that the, the rules of engagement on Instagram, as an example, is that you should be posting at least once a day um, to kind of build and maintain and uh, your following and your your platform. And if I'm lucky, I'm maybe posting twice a week, if I'm lucky. Right. Okay. So like recently I got some feedback and some input on like social media use. And, and I found it very enlightening, which is that posting on social media is not the most beneficial thing. Other people posting right. or other people reposting or other people whatever tagging yes. All yes. This, that is exponentially more beneficial yes. than the volume or quantity that you post yes agree disagree i'm not a i'm not a software architect i don't know that you know how they design literally how they design it well and this but, is my problem yeah. is is that because okay Going back to like my childhood, my training is like I grew up in a time before social media yes. and before computers, even for that matter. The my problem is, is that in the old days, the art world was all handshake, who you know, reputations, all this kind of stuff. Yes. These days, it has transitioned to that a lot of the not all, I mean, there's still the handshake and the get to yes, know right. people and all that at art fairs and things like this, but a lot of it is based on algorithms which are completely right. different and uncontrollable uh you can't manipulate them you can't work them you can't meet an algorithm and yes. say hi can you that's you know, right please you know give my thing better because i mean i'm trying really hard and i, yeah. I think i do a good job could you you know please you know algor yeah. algorithmically promote me yeah, right. like it, it's it's become this thing that like mm -hmm. you basically have to play it their game yes I find that very painful. I agree. And not to mention, it's not necessarily an authentic practice for me. I like to create. I don't want to, you know, but okay. So on the other hand, and on the hand, I know that there's many gallerists out there that are looking at your social media platform. They want to see that you've got 20, 50, 30, 40,000 followers, and they'll consider your portfolio once they look at your, your platform. Now, if they look deeper into it and they see a post from some of these artists and they'll see that they've got 40,000 followers, but 125 likes on any given post, that is not an authentic uh, uh, relationship. And to me, that is clear that that particular individual had purchased 30, 40, 35,000 of those followers. So, and then on the other hand, if you see some artists and they've got 25,000 uh, followers and they're having a very high percentage of engagement, let's say even 2000 likes or 3000 likes. That to me is very clear that that's, that, that was natural. That was a natural buildup because they're doing exceptional work and also they're out there and they're, you know, they're really, uh, they've rolled up their sleeves and they're, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is amazing. Um, so that's why I don't necessarily put too much, um, of my time and energy into it, I will concentrate on the quality of my work, my message, who I am as a person, as an artist. If there are gallerists that want to work with me, that's incredible. And I, I guarantee that it'll be a lifelong uh, relationship because I just believe that the person I am is going to complement both sides. But on the other hand, 
if they expect me to purchase 30,000 followers that aren't going to engage, that's not going to be who I am. I'm not going to do that. So what I meant, it's not that necessarily I have the biggest ego in the world that I think like, you know, anybody who knows me is going to benefit, their life is going to benefit. That's not at all. What I meant is that if if a gallery or, or a museum was to engage with me in an exhibition, is that I'm going to do what I can to promote it as much as I can w- through my platform. Well, see, to, it's interesting because to a certain extent, like you have the luxury that like, for, I mean, I can only talk for myself, but like I don't. You can and do commission works. Yes. So, like, if if a space or a gallerist or an institution came and said, "Hey, could you do a, a, a something for us?" You know, and and you work collaboratively yes. with us to come up with something. That's a unique characteristic in the art world. Yes, you know, because like me, I come from a very very traditional background where like. I go into my studio, I produce an object, I bring that object out into the world, and you either like it or you don't. There. Yes. Whereas you are able and willing to be more collaborative in yes. that whole process. And that's a, a reasonably unique thing yes. among the object-based artists in the world. It's more exciting. I, I think like many of the exhibitions that I've seen that incorporate street or urban contemporary artists who... Like, as an example, Michal Schkapa, like he will bring in his exhibition space a car and he will spray paint the car inside and out and everywhere. And I think that's more interesting to me. I think that, you know, just the White Cube Gallery that wants to hang 2D artwork. I mean, like to me, it's, there's some great artists, don't, don't get me wrong, that would inspire me in terms of the work they do in this format. But I, I think for me personally, it would, as an example... At the end of next month, January 2020, I'm going to have an exhibition in Opava. And I'm speaking with the gallerist about finding a wall in his community in Opava that will be there either permanent or semi-permanent and also do something within the gallery space that I can, as an installation, um, so that I can maybe improve the quality of life of the community and also... In a, in a roundabout way, promote myself as the artist as well, right? So in that sense, and that's what I meant, that when I do work, I would like to be able to pr- promote everybody's efforts and do it in a casual way, but also in a fun way, you know, in a, in a street art kind of way. Well, speaking of that, actually, what a previous guest on the podcast were the, the people who ran a gallery called Improper Walls in Vienna, and they actually do exactly that. Yeah, right. Um, so I highly recommend talking to them. I can give you their contact oh, that'd be information. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. I, um, there's one source in Vienna that I'm, I'm hoping to do some, some outdoor exterior work in Vienna next year in 2020. So that's my objective. So I'll definitely reach out to them. Yeah, they actually, there is a, a, an entire collective of people seemingly uh, sort of district by district within yes. Vienna that yes. do public art pieces yes. and and they're funded by yes. the community districts um and they're given and the, um, the gallery certain galleries and certain organizations are the ones that coordinate them. yes i think it's starting to happen here in prague as well i think that let's say in, uh in prague 7 Hloshvice, there's a number of walls um and spaces where legal work can be done and uh, you know everybody knows if you go to berlin the city is like a coloring book and not in a bad way. You know, there are tags as well. And, you know, there, but I would say that y- you can literally go to Berlin and spend a week just looking at 
uh, facades and walls. Absolutely. Which, which is cool to me. You know, it's like a living gallery um, space. And I hope and I would like to consider myself as somebody who's going to continue to promote that concept, not only in Prague, but within Czech Republic as well. Have you run into any issues um, about a sort of trying to blend and marry the sort of fine arts world and the street art world? Totally. I think, and the label that I use, uh, even marketing myself, is urban contemporary. So artists, I went to art school, I went to university, but at the same time I was painting illegally on the streets, graffiti. But that's not part of my world now. You know, like I have older knees and ankles and what I used to consider myself as, a, you know, as one of the Olympic fence jumpers, you know, when running from police, I can't do that anymore. So I really would consider myself as a, as a fine artist who has a street art pedigree. And I think that's, for me, my opinion, the most exciting subgenre within art now. And has people in the fine arts world been accepting of that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like if you go to the art fairs in Miami or Vienna or, sorry, uh, Venice, etc., I think there's a lot of street art artists that are now being exhibited in some of the largest private galleries, represented by large private galleries around the world and also into the museums. So even if you go back in history, um, Jean-Michel Basquiat, uh, Keith Haring were artists that transitioned from the street into galleries. And now, you know, both of their names are in the pantheons of auction houses and they're in nine figures now, you know, literally nine oh, figures. Yeah. So it's not a new thing. You know, it goes back several decades, but that's exactly how I see my career evolving. So you uh, have been moving around a lot and you've also moved between continents and yes. in different countries, even things like this. I've been talking with a lot of people and one of the things that keeps coming up is the, the need to build a community. Mm -hmm. um, I found that street artists are actually pretty good with being a community, even if they're not physically in the same location. So the question is sort of like, when you moved from Canada to the United States, it sounds like to then Canada, then to the Czech Republic, and you've been here now for five years, how easy or difficult was it to create almost a new community here? I think it's within street art, it's amazing because you go to one of the outlets where they uh, are selling spray paint and you have a conversation and I dare anybody, positively of course, to go to Molotow in Prague and meet Jakob Yandora. And that is a guy that lives, breathes, sleeps his street art. So you go there and you have a conversation with him about spray paint or literally anything and that guy will engage and you will immediately sense a feeling of acceptance. You bring your sketchbook or your black book to him and show him what you do and I guarantee that he'll incorporate you some way in the near future into some action that he's putting on. So you're right. It's not easy, you know, but... It's a, just a fact of life, you know, for me uh, as an artist who I hope in my career will transcend borders, you know, I'm working on uh, exhibitions in other countries. It's not easy to do, but it's just one, another challenge, another homework. When you, when you get into a community, you connect with the people, like-minded individuals, whether it's in art or street art or whatever it is that you do. And 
you know, if you're cool and if you're positive, you know, maybe you'll find some friends. And if, you know, it really, I think in, ends up, and if you're not, then you might have more difficulty. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Like that's, I feel like I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm having a lot of difficulty. Yeah. And so like, that's why I'm sort of like, oh gosh, it's so hard. I mean, part of it is, is that of course I'm getting older, yes. you know, I'm 46 years old. It's just not as easy to make new sure. friends and make new connections because a lot of the people that are my peers, as far as like my age yes. and my, and my experiences already have their communities and it's very difficult for, for me sure. to then sort of enter into their community, their existing community. Um, so like, I've you know, wanted to hear some other. Oh no, this is like, this is a classic psychology, you know, the in group out group, uh, the cool club versus the not cool, the nerds and all this other kind of stuff. Like it's, this goes back for probably from the beginning of time, uh, human civilization and it will in the future as well. I have no answer to that because I just, when I came to Prague, I knew that I needed to reconnect, as I said, with relatives and, and uh, you know, in the art community. And I feel so far, it's not been easy, hmm. you know, like for a fact, you know, I have a I have an accent. I don't speak Czech. Excellent. You know, I'm, I'm working on it, but people know immediately that I'm, uh, I wasn't born and raised here. Mm -hmm. But as I said, if think if you come with a from the perspective of authenticity, I think that some you'll find somebody. You know, I think that you'll connect with some people here inevitably, and um, see where that goes. Yeah, but it's, it's the point that I'm trying to get to is that that sense of the the need of a community, yeah, sure. like because. One thing I've been learning through the act of doing this podcast is, is that I made many mistakes in my career. Mm -hmm. And one of those big mistakes was moving a lot and not keeping old connections, yes. uh, you know, not maintaining them and not growing with them and all this. Like, I mean, I have lots of friends that I grew up with in Washington, D.C. that are now curators yes. and museums and stuff that I haven't spoken, but I made the mistake of not keeping up with them sure. for 20 years. And like, if I were to try now to reconnect with them, it would be blatantly obvious that I'm trying to use them. And so I can't do it. You know, like it, it would not be authentic. Yeah, for sure. And Matthew, I, don't, I think that what you might be experiencing is not unique. You know, you're not alone because I think a lot of people are, let's say, going on social, social media or through the computer on the internet to find uh, a sense of home. And, uh, you know, I spoke a little bit about it in my previous exhibition with somebody called Virtual Identity Discrepancy, where the, the uh, avatars that they create to connect with people may not be authentic to, to who they are in real. And they feel more comfortable online than they do in person. And so this is a topic that I discuss as well in my artwork where, you know, human interaction... Uh, the quality of the human interaction and how it might be impacted by technology are concepts that are being studied by psychologists around the world. It's a fact of our life in today's society. Yeah, I mean, I find it... I'm a reasonably outgoing person, uh, reasonably extroverted. I can generally hold on to conversation yes. with most people, but I've become more introverted and less outgoing as time has gone on. I don't know if it's because I've just gotten bored or, or mm -hmm. gotten scared or, or gotten intimidated yes. or anxious. I mean, I take Xanax, but sometimes I do it for fun. Sometimes yes. I do it for sure. actual needs. Sure. But like there's a difficulty with it, sort of growing older and not having like, sure. 
I'll, I'll, I'll even go further than this. So like there, there's a difficulty with getting older in the arts and not finding the success that I'd hoped that I would have achieved by this point in my life. Yes. That gets a little depressing. Like we, we all want more sure. success and, and there are days where it's like, why do I keep doing it? No, I think it was very interesting. Uh, in the last 48 hours, I was asked, what would I do to become famous? And so what, and literally this, it all goes back to the moment when my mother passed away. I said, I thought that I found, you know, I had some time to kind of contemplate my life and, and really meditate about it. And I came to the conclusion that managing expectations was the single most important thing that I can ever do in my life. Not only my own, but the expectations of my partner, my friends, uh, gallerists, curators, everybody in my sphere. Managing expectation essentially allows me to limit the uh, disappointment or that is possible and that may not always be a fact you know maybe people will supersede your expectations and those are miracle moments right when somebody goes above and beyond what you ever thought was possible so set low bars and always be surprised when they're yeah. exceeded but then you know like the canadian friends that we went with to this, sh this chalet i mean they they're angels on the earth where they you know out of nowhere they'll invite us to this chalet or they'll do stuff with us that and it's i don't ask i don't ask this from them but they i mean it's just like i said there i can't explain it because they're just so giving people and they are people on this earth that are like them that shock you every time because the norm and the average today in society is not that right mm. so and then there's of course there are people that are well below the average you know that are takers and they're stealers of your of your energy which is the worst of of them all forget about stealing your car or stealing your money or whatever they're stealing your energy mm -hmm. that you know i wish i don't wish the worst of them because i've seen the worst but you don't wish too much positive to them because they they're not giving you much positive back i was just listening to a an interview actually with a psychologist talking about like givers and takers yeah. and how these are very there's yeah. givers takers and moderates those right. are middle people like sometimes they give sometimes they take yes i kind of think and and how and then try when you sit back and you think like am i a giver or a yeah. taker and like i always thought of myself as a giver but in hindsight i, I maybe i'm not so much of a giver like but Matthew, I think that's okay. I mean, like, we're all trying to figure out who we are. But I'm a it's professor. A, I should be a giver. Well, you know what? I think that it's going to take you your life to figure it out. And I think for me personally, I know it is because I would say right now, probably two thirds of my life, I've been the biggest asshole on the planet. I've okay, treated good. everybody like garbage. Okay, great. No, well, no, I wasn't saying, great. No, no, <laughs> I'm saying great yeah. because my background is, is I, if you ask any of my previous employers, possibly mm. even ex-girlfriends, you know, definitely my students, I was an arrogant ass. Sure. Like, holy shit, such yeah. an arrogant ass. Yeah. And I have come to realize that uh, it, while maybe it was gr a great persona to put on as mm. a professor to be that, to sort of push them to you know, try to be mm. their best, it wasn't good for me in every other sure. way. Like, and, and I'm, you know, to a certain extent, like through this podcast and through this, like putting this out there, I'm like basically trying to make amends. Like I made a mistake. Yep. Yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. That, that was a bad way to be as a person. Yeah. 
as a teacher, possibly as a boyfriend, yes. <laughs> you know, whatever. No, for sure. And, and, you know, we can do better. Like, I mean, any of us that would have, that have fallen into these kinds of yep. things, we can change and try to do it better. Like I used to be so arrogant. I used to, I remember thinking I should be friends with this person because this person can give me this right. benefit in my life. Like I was such an ass and you can't do that. No. I mean, like you can, but I think it'll come back to burn you. Yeah. And for me, and, I, and again, I don't wish the worst on anybody. And I know what the worst, I've seen the worst face to face, let's say with the tragedy of my mother, but also as, as a younger partner, you know, with, with romantic partner in the past, there is a girlfriend that I'll never be able to say, uh, apologize to. I'll never be able to say sorry the way that I treated her uh, because she passed away as well. Hmm. And uh, I, you know, I, I tried to engage with her mother one time in a, in a grocery store. And I saw, when I saw her, it was the most nervous thing I've ever done. And her mother was very upset and I understand. And so this, let's say this ex-girlfriend or uh, my mother, you know, I, I thank, I thank the power, you know, the higher power, whoever that is that I'm conscious enough to understand or see the mistakes that I may have made in the past in terms of inter interacting with people. And, uh, and I also am thankful to have the strength to try and change who I'm going to be now and in the future, not only as an artist, but as a person as well, right? Primarily a person. Yeah. I mean, I have a history. I used to be a drug addict. I mm -hmm. used to do all kinds of heroin and cocaine, yes. all kinds of things, anything I get my hands on pretty much. My, mm -hmm. my list of drugs that I haven't done is shorter than my list mm -hmm. of drugs that I have done. Right. And, you know, part of that was at the end of, I went to you know, narcotics anonymous yes. and I tried to, I tried that whole thing. It was, it, it didn't work for me, but it's interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting idea. I, I admire the people that do it. I think it's yep. a great system. And and part of it is like... Not, you mean self-medicating or by who are consciously trying to change... I'm saying people who choose to go to Alcoholics oh, Anonymous, yeah, right. Narcotics yeah. Anonymous, yeah, whatever gotcha. sort of anonymous thing. Yeah. I think that system is fabulous. Yep. Uh, I think it's really great. I think it's incredibly beneficial for many people. It, yes. di it didn't do much for me yes. personally. But every now and then, like, you, you got to sit back and say, like, well, but like the foundation of that kind of stuff is really a good core. Like, yeah. and I mean, even so, like, you know, it comes to, it comes back to this, this arts and the, this podcast, I know, because I'm going off the rails here, but the, because in the arts, we all think when we start, we think being an artist is, is the act of being in the studio by yourself. You produce a beautiful thing mm -hmm. and, and then you bring it into the world and all this. But the, what I've come to realize over my decades in this industry is, is that it's not that. Like you start there, it's the starting point, but that is only a fraction of yes. the entire act Agreed. of being an artist. Agreed. Being an artist is about the community. Mm -hmm. You chose to be in the arts because you like the people, mm -hmm. the lifestyle, the, the, the creativity that surrounds it all right. kind of things. But like the act of producing a piece of art is like 10% of the entire process of being an artist, because then there's the business aspect of it, the social aspect mm -hmm. of it, the community aspect of it, the sales, the maintaining of it, the social media, the, all the other things that we have to do mm -hmm. that, that, that I want to stress that we have to do Yes, because just sitting in the studio and making art is not fulfilling enough. No. Like 
I can't, uh, you know, I've got these beautiful pieces that I've made. I was just having this conversation with my wife last night. Like I have these beautiful pieces that I've made that nobody has bought. Yes. And it doesn't feel fulfilled until it is either, well, even just exhibited would be probably good enough, but like exhibiting the work and putting it out in the public, getting those reactions, potentially even yes. getting somebody who loves it and admire it and respects it enough to want to then pay for it yes. and have it in their lives. Yes. That's the most fulfilling thing yep. that I could ever imagine. And by the way, on a side note, my favorite thing is, is if somebody says that they put a piece of my art in their bathroom because the bathroom is the most used room in the yes. house. <laughs> like, so I love I bathroom art. That. I think it's fabulous, but but I want, I, you know, making my art is great, but you need that community, yes. those connections, those people, whatever, those supporters that, that build it to the culmination of the production of the piece. Yes. Like making it's great and you can be happy with it, but I, you need those other people and those community members to fulfill the destiny of that piece of art. Yes. Well, the thing is as well, I think that, that for me, the difficult part of being an artist is that it is very egocentric and self-focused, right? But where I feel like in the last few years here in Czech Republic, where I felt the most positive, not only about myself personally, but about what I'm doing is when I supported other artists or where I reached out, you know, and I commented, let's say as, as a really basic kind of where you reach out and comment about somebody's artwork that you think is spectacular, that feels really great. You know, like I have a young artist friend, uh, Adam Zimmerman, who is doing, who's really young in terms of his development and who's, he loves it. And you, you, you feel every ounce of his passion for, you know, the gift of creativity. And you know how far he is as well from really getting to where he should be or where he wants to be. But to, to support him just verbally or you know or buying a piece of his artwork or whatever as an artist and with limited resources still feels so good that I feel like that's where I I feel the best in terms of my life as an artist is when it's not about me it's about the community as you mentioned it's about supporting other artists with in whatever way that I can that's the coolest feeling for me hmm. all right Let's try and wrap this up. So my final two questions that mm -hmm. I always ask everybody, have you listened to the podcast? Yes, I have. Okay. So yeah. you know these questions. I've then. listened to the one with Louise and yes, with yes, chemistry. Yes, indeed. Okay. So the first one is basically some advice, mm -hmm. some experience. I always am hoping for somebody to share an experience that they had. That they are like, oh, please, everybody stay away from this. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, I fucked this royally. Don't do this. Yes. Um, so some sort of advice to uh, artists you know, that to either help them on their path to success or something to stay away from that might hurt their path to success. You know, it's interesting because I, when I, when I heard that Beale art, that students from Beale art are going to come to Prague, I thought, okay, if I had the chance to speak to him, what would I tell them? And I think that what I would tell them would differ from day to day, literally. Like I, it's, one day I would tell them to run as far away from being an artist as they can. But, but on the other days when I'm even 10% to 90% uh, positive, I would say, 
it's going to be the hardest work that you've ever done in your life. I mean, it's going to, it's going to exhaust every ounce of energy that you have on many of the days. So you will have to exercise a incredible amount of patience, an incredible amount of uh, self-doubt. And many times when you're looking for support outside externally, you may not get that support. So it's going to be very internal and it's not going to be an easy road. But then, as you said, Matthew, when, you know, when somebody supports you or when somebody uh, sends you a message and they or a picture that they have your picture in their living room or something. I mean, it's one of the most report, re- rewarding things that can possibly happen that somebody shares a living space. So uh, in terms of advice, I mean, really focus on your work. Like, I think that's that's where it all comes from is what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And really, it is about yourself and focus on the quality of your work, really. I mean, like, I don't know what else to say. No, I want to focus on actually something you just said. It's a little thing, but I keep running into this because, I, again, I do portfolio reviews, uh, you know, yes. all the time. The why. Yeah. That is the most important yeah. thing because to a certain extent, I find it's really easy. I know that sounds egotistical, but like it's easy to make a beautiful thing. Yeah. Whatever, whatever you define as beautiful, sure. you know, so a, a beautiful thing, but it, the need for the why is of the utmost importance mm-hmm. these days. Now, maybe it wasn't at a certain time in art history, whatever, but like these days, people want to connect with the work. Yes. They want something beyond the aesthetics. Uh, so like making a beautiful thing is great, but it has to have a really substantial provocative evocative visceral why you know why did you make sure. it and what like the phrase i often use when i'm doing a reviews is like why did you make it and why should somebody else care yes right and i think like one other element i would is the term inspiration you know and, and where do people find inspiration or how and chuck close said that he doesn't need to find inspiration he goes in the studio and he starts getting his fingers dirty with paint and inspiration comes to him by just interacting in the studio. So the act of doing, you know, so live your, if, you know, that the advice would be live your life, travel, I would say travel as much as possible so that you can get a, like a global perspective on the human experience. And then inevitably how it will affect your practice, your, your style or your, whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Live your life and, and live with some sort of authenticity. And be patient. Well, yeah. This is this is another thing that I keep running into with with younger creative mm. people is like they think that they should be successful quickly. Yeah, for sure. And easily. Yeah. And it's just not. Well, I can only imagine how many proposals a galleries are getting from artists who have you know either not even graduated or they're one, two year, three years out of school. They must be getting proposals like it's PDFs coming out of the wazoo, uh, you know. And whether they're ready or not, I'm not sure, but I understand the process. I get it, you know, because I was also there. But uh, but like I said, I think the most important thing they could do is live their life, travel as much as possible, understand who you are. Uh, and then inevitably, when you kind of get an idea, when you've made some mistakes and you've learned consciously from those mistakes, then I think you can become uh, a better artist. Yeah. I mean, I always say to my wife, that basically, it's like, you need to enjoy the process yeah. because... Oftentimes, the return on the the end the end outcome 
might take five or ten years. Yes. So like, so you cannot rely on the return. We'll call it return on investment. Right. Basically, right. you have to enjoy what you do. Period. Right. And then hopefully, theoretically, there will be a return on investment. But you cannot rely on no. the return on investment. And, and listen, I think like the, the creative process is not necessarily about enjoyment as well to be honest i think that there's a lot of suffering i think that there's the suffering like it could be one day it could be financial one day it could be romantic and all these you know joy happy sad angry mad all these will inevitably spice and complement the work that you do you know in your studio um so the spectrum of emotions i think are important but you really do have to in the end that next day when you're pissed off and you wake up, you still have to go to the studio and do something or go in, you know, out, out in the world and find some materials if you have to or whatever, you know what I acquire. mean? Acquire. Like, yeah, acquire. So, yeah. So, yeah. All not right. An, an easy question. Not an easy question. Uh, unfortunately, these questions are not easy in yeah. general. But <laughs> but the, what I'm finding over the course of this podcast, like, yeah. so the, the intention of the podcast is that no individual person has all the answers. No. But through all the sheer volume of conversations mm. I have, there can be little things gleaned sure. from this person, little sort of things gleaned from that person. And somehow I can sort of create a, a, a sense of like sure. what's the most common theoretical conceptual whatever yes. kind of thing and it, and it's working i i've i have learned exponentially more by the, my conversations yes. with this podcast and hopefully the listeners have as well than i have by reading or yes. watching videos or whatever of anything because it, it's the sheer volume of input that is being yes. more helpful than like one person saying this is the way to success right because there is no one no, way to so. success no I mean, like, in this industry. my history and what I've endured, I wish it on no one, literally. By the way, how old are you? I'm 43. Okay. I wish it on no one, but that's my experience. That's my life experience, right? So many of the things that I've just spoken about are things that I've learned in my life while I was learning to be a professional artist. So whether your listeners will take, if there's anything positive that they can get from it, I hope there is. I'm not sure. So I think a lot of the people they've interviewed, you know, are providing their perspective. This is my perspective. Take from it what you can, what you will. Okay. Which leads on to the final question, which you have heard before. Yes. Maybe not. Uh, go ahead. I okay. think I, I may know. Final question that I ask everybody is basically, I have created an arbitrary, um, I've created an arbitrary goal, a quantifiable task that I'm trying to achieve mm -hmm. through the things that I learn from this podcast, which is I'm trying to get a piece of one piece of my artwork, my existing artwork on exhibition in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Yes. What should I do in my career to put me on the path to achieve that goal? What can you do? And just to be clear, whatever you're going to tell me, I will actually do it and I will make a podcast following the progress of my getting a piece of my work in the Museum of Modern Art on exhibition. So not in the collection, not a solo exhibition, yes, but yes. just one piece in an exhibition. I'm, I'm setting the standards a little low on a really high bar. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, it could be any museum. It could be Tate Modern. It could be any yes. other museum you want. I chose a museum of modern art. That was my yes. beacon growing yes. up. So. Yes. Well, as somebody that has not exhibited there, 
I don't know what to share with you. Although, I mean, what I spoke about earlier is to live with authenticity in terms of your work, uh, to find as much honesty in your work as possible and then connect with people who have, you know, who are either curators, gallerists that have similar view, life view, um, that want to connect with other artists that, that have that philosophy in life. I think that like, I think it's a natural process, to be honest. I think that like, inevitably, if you were, uh, if it was fate for that to happen, I think that inevitably it will. And that's why for me and my work, I would love to be in some of the biggest galleries, not only in Czech Republic, but throughout Europe. And I do believe that inevitably I might have the chance as long as that moment comes of opportunity, maybe a little bit of luck, um, then it'll happen. But Matthew, I don't know if I have an answer for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally. I thought about it ever since we met, you know, uh, what would I say with Matthew asked me that question? And, you know, how would I guide my answer to that? And I think my, uh, I'm living more kind of like short-term, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, let alone like next year or the next 10 years or where I want to be. I don't know. How about that for a confusing answer? It's fine. I mean, <laughs> as a, the, the reason for it is because, I mean, I made this podcast and it's like basically it, I'm asking people to listen to this podcast because theoretically this podcast is about how to be more successful in your artistic mm-hmm. careers. Mm-hmm. But yet I can't quantifiably say, yes, if you listen, you will be more successful. Yeah, right. So like, so I, tr- I, I created this arbitrary goal yep. basically. So if I can achieve that goal, then that means that everything I've learned from all these conversations does actually work. Yes. I mean, like, from a street art perspective, when you look at, let's say, uh, Scope or some of the really, really big art fairs mm-hmm. and the street artists that are being represented there, you know, some of them have like thousand walls already done, like thousand murals, like, and not just little walls, like massive, huge murals. So if they're there, then my objective is very clear in front of me is that I should be in the 150, 200 walls range, and then I can feel in my career that I'm ready to be represented at Sculpt or somewhere else, right? Well, like, which, which leads example. to a, a question that keeps coming up again and again, because like I put this idea of being having a piece in Museum of Modern Art as a, as a definition of success, yes. basically. What's your definition of success? I mean, like success is for me, uh, living month to month, literally financially stable, you know, where I have collectors that I've engaged with beyond collectors, that they have become friends. Um, I think my my success goals are more holistic in that I'd like to live as a good person so that in that last moment of my life, that somebody in the future might say, hey, that guy was pretty cool. You know, like he wasn't absolutely an asshole. He was actually okay. As he was in the past. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like I'm I'm shooting for okay. That's my law, yeah. my personality it's goal. It's very Canadian of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, if, if I can touch people through my artwork and share my stories of struggle and they get it and they sense it, I think that would be my goal, literally. Like to, I know it's, it might sound kind of kitsch or, or cheesy, but literally the concept of my artwork is about stories. It's about the human experience. So if I can connect with people at that level, then I'll be happy. Yeah, when I started this podcast, I created this arbitrary sort of task to try and achieve this. And like, and I've had conversations with people about like, what is success and all this. And I'm like, realistically, my personal goal for my art, I mean, on the one hand, in my ego, I say, I want to be in the art history books. Yeah. You know, like, of course, everybody, every creative person wants to be 
that person that's the the the, the symbol of a movement or a mm. style or whatever and in their art history books but on the realistic day-to-day basis what i really want is i want to make enough money to be able to continue to make my work and be financially Financial stable agreed from a business that's perspective it. i agreed like the, well, but not even from a business perspective it's like i want to just have enough money to make whatever i want to make without having to be concerned about mm. money so like like for instance i've got this idea right now of this piece that i want to make with encaustic which of course is a reasonably expensive material mm-hmm. so like I just simply can't, I have to put off making this piece for another couple months until I can save yes. up some money to buy this, this, this resource kind of thing. So like, I want to not have to do that. I want to be able to just buy whatever yes. material I want, make whatever I want to make when I want to make it Yes, and not put a burden on my, my household. Sure. Which has a, it's your profession, right? So I understand that. Yeah. Hopefully we can all achieve that goal. I agree. <laughs> good luck and good health. Indeed. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you all for your support of the Wise Fool Patreon account. If you've not become part of our network, by becoming a supporter, you receive the opportunity to help in the choosing of upcoming guests, cities that I should visit, and also you can give me questions that you would like me to ask future guests. You can find us and support us at Patreon, P-A-T, R-E-O-N dot com slash the wise fool, all one word. If you enjoy the podcast, I would appreciate a five-star rating and please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.